<clears throat> so what's up? Oh God, I'm I'm having my morning coffee because I did not have that beforehand, and I'm ready to talk about um, goth kids. Goth kids, hell yeah! Let me show you what. Let me show you how I started my day because I, I did get some caffeine, but uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use an image to to describe it. Okay, good. Uh, sending this. This is how my day started. I woke up. <laughs> Oh, and fuck yeah. 15 minutes later. The image in question is a 12-ounce peach edition can of Red Bull and uh, a, ch- a chapter of Game of Thrones, the book Game of Thrones. I, you know, I a wouldn't do of either of, of these things, but I fully support your right to do them. What's that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't read Game of Thrones, and I probably wouldn't be drinking peach edition Red Bull, but I fully support your right to do so. Thank you very much. I... I have become a bit of a Red Bull bitch on the weekends. I, I don't I try not to I try not to vibe with energy drinks during the weekday, but like I sometimes I just want an energy drink on the weekends. And Red Bull is it's it lets me down the easiest out of all of the energy drinks. So if I am to drink an energy drink, I choose the Red Bull. That's real. I just because... know that I don't have any kind of self control and if I start drinking energy drinks, I'm not gonna stop. So Yeah that's I, the kind of person I, I am these days. I've cheated on the brink of that. I, I don't let myself buy monster because if I buy monster I start wanting more monster. Unlocks the like fourteen year old sleeper cell within you. Yeah, the fourteen year old sleeper cell that never got to exist because my mom was a nurse and <laughs> she didn't like she still if she'll ask me like every couple of weeks, like, Are you drinking energy drinks? Like with the same with the same intensity, a parent would ask, like, "Are you are you doing drugs? Are you smoking weed? Are you smoking weed, my beautiful daughter?" Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, mom! If you listen to this podcast, just some um, pro weed smoking oh ASMR God. here for um, our listeners at beer baiting. This is what they time, came here for. Reminds me of that time I was in this time I was in college and. Um, my dad was up because I think uh, I think it was like the like the last weekend before I went home for the summer, and so my mm-hmm. dad was up there helping me move out. And I'm just like I'm playing a game of League of Legends on the computer because I've do- I've been doing a lot of work. And my dad comes into my room for something and goes into my closet, comes out and is like, "You know, you got a bong in there, right?" And my response to my dad was to look around shifty. I'd be like, "Um, no, no, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> and then he just tussled my hair and walked out of the room. <laughs> That's a pretty cool reaction. Yeah, it's a pretty cool reaction. All things considered, about my father. But we're not yeah. here for therapy. We're here for we're here for horror movies, or in this case, horror anime. What's the difference? What's the difference? Theme song. What's up, everyone? It's Fear Baiting. We're back. Uh, I'm Sarah, and it's this is a horror movie podcast most of the time, but sometimes we do other horror properties, um, and sometimes, occasionally, we've been known to do just more movies that, that are not exactly horror movies, because I really wanted to talk about them. 
And sometimes we do things that are not movies and don't have that, any other um, movie properties associated with them. That's absolutely none. Well, to be well, this one did have a movie in like two thousand nine. A Japanese okay, that's one. fair. That one was actually pretty good. I never saw that one, but I did love the design for Ryuk. Oh, it was really good. It yeah. was probably the only like truly good part of that. But we digress. Yeah, we do digress. Uh, and joining me this week, it's Sue back back out of the end at Krispy Kreme. They let me in again. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we had such a good time talking about Tommy last time that I had to. It's still it extremely. Sure was something. It's still extremely funny to me that um, I I had like in my head that is such like an Alex, uh, um, Alex at Alex the Virgo on Twitter uh, movie that I forgot that, that was a you that a movie you brought and I thought it was one Alex had instead brought. <laughs> I would literally kill for somebody to do a Tomie reboot and cast Alex. Cast Alex, yes, Alex, Alex the Virgo, uh, Alex Tumble user Dork Phoenix. I'm, uh, I'm manifesting. I'm gonna make this happen. Oh yeah, Alex, get ready. Oh yeah, and uh, who, who, who to direct? Who to direct? You have to answer this question now. <laughs> I don't know any directors. Um. Name um, a movie that you liked, and I'll tell you, and we can have that person direct it. Why don't we just have uh, Bong Joon-ho do it? Yeah, I was I, I was genuinely about to say Bong Joon-ho as well. I feel no, like maybe a Japanese, a maybe a Japanese director, just because the source would, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any, Jap- actually, now that I think about it, I don't know any Japanese directors. I don't know many directors to begin with, if I'm being honest. Yeah, same. I'm... Like... And a lot of them are, uh, a lot of the directors I know I think are German, like Werner, Werner Herzog. That's a name I maybe am familiar with. I, I like him because he is, he is a very serious director. I've never seen any of his movies, but I assume he's a very serious director by the, by the descriptions of them. It, um, but also he just like has kind of leaned into the fact that his like kind of style of talking is... Uh, a bit of a thing people rib him for, and so he's just like he just does a lot of cameo voice work sometimes. I can like, respect that. Like for example, if you've seen uh, Rick and Morty, have you ever seen any Rick and Morty? <sighs> Sarah, I didn't come here to get roasted, but yes, it's okay. I I've have. also I've seen all three seasons of Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I have. He he was the voice of uh, Shrimply Pibbles in that one episode. Where they where they had to cut off Jerry's penis and there were it was it was a Oh yeah. Yeah, he was that guy. What an episode, huh? Yeah. I haven't dipped into that new season yet. Might not. Might I did I just know. a little bit and it's fine. Yeah. I chuckled. Yeah, that's so no, far. That's we have not talked about anything we were here to talk about. No, absolutely not. We have we have done a we have done a half-hearted review of season four of Rick and Morty. Uh, th- to be clear, this is uh, that that's um, spelled exactly the way it sounds, like Blackened Morty, like Rick and Morty. Just need to be clear about that one. Uh, Worm. Fucking... So I guess yeah, we're back. Um, we we've been gone for so long, uh, two months away, and not a lot happened. I'm trying to think of shit that happened. My my voice is kind of shot, so I I'm my voice is kind of shot. Uh, so yeah, I'm, a little, I'm still a little bit recovering from being sick. But we're here to talk about 
Um, I don't know. I can go to upcoming horror movies, I guess. Nothing really... Well, no, that's not true. Um, there's a new Saw movie coming out. Uh, it's Chris Rock... I believe Chris Rock is directing, or he might be producing. I'm not 100%. He's also starring in it as a cop who discovers, like, I think the Jigsaw killings start happening again, and it's called Spiral from the Book of Saw, and I'm kind of... A, I'm kind of... I'm kind of here for it. I'm not super into, like, the Saw franchise, but I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Chris Rock seems like an interesting... Yeah, it is. Interesting choice it, here, but... It is. I'm trying to think of the last time I've seen Chris Rock in a dramatic role, and I can't... Like, when I think Chris Rock, I think of Rush Hour, and I think of the zebra from Madagascar, and most specifically, the the that's, that small scene from Madagascar 3 where he sings dun-dun-dun in an Afro circus, and someone mashed it up with, uh, um, Party Rock is in the house tonight. Naturally. Yeah. I, I just only think of, like, the little bits of his stand-up that I watched and then turned off because I was like... This is clearly not for me. Yeah. I'm not your target audience, am I? Yeah. I want to double check to make sure that it is Chris Rock and I'm not getting that wrong. Because that's... No, okay. It is Chris Rock. All right. It's just so bizarre, but all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. Uh, we also have The Invisible Man, that movie coming out that looks really good. Um, it's the... Have you seen this trailer? It's the one with... Um, oh, what's her name? From The Handmaid's Tale. It's completely blanking. I haven't, but I am intrigued. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. It stars Elizabeth Moss, and it's much more of, like, a, a psychological thriller, much in the way of, like, the, um... Oh, what the fuck was it? The Hollow Man? I might actually watch it, then. Yeah, Hollow Man, but, like, good, I, I think. Um, but it, it's, it's much more, like, about a... Based on the trailer, it looks to be about a, uh, a... An abusive partner who appears to have... Who... If the trailer is anything to go by, uh, seems to have faked his own death and is now tormenting his abused partner from be, uh, from quote unquote beyond the grave as the titular Invisible Man. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. I'm excited. It's uh, it's <clears throat> it was originally supposed to be part of the Universal Shared Cinematic Universe. You know, the, the one with that now? Tom. <laughs> you remember? You remember that? Uh, I believe it was like the Dark Universe or something or other. The fucking uh, remember the Mummy with Tom Cruise. <laughs> I know it. I know that was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was supposed to be the thing that started off the Marvel or not the the Universal Cinematic Universe of horror of classic monsters, um, and I, I think there was a Frankenstein movie. It was like I Frankenstein or something that was also intended to be a part of it that wound up not because the Mummy did so badly, um, and so that entire concept was just kind of sculled, and now all of like the projects that were tied up in it are being released independent of that shared cinematic universe. Huh. That'll um, be really interesting to see if it, you know, they still make choices based on that, or yeah, if you know who was originally bring it back. You know who was originally uh, penned to be the titular Invisible Man in the in the in the Universal version in the Universal Cinematic Universe version? Oops. Uh, it's one Jonathan Depp. <sighs> All right. Like, I guess. I, what, what, I guess. Did we know about everything back in 2016? I have not been like... I, I, I have to concede that I've not been keeping extremely close tabs on that, so I don't know when exactly we started hearing about it. I'm but pretty I, sure it started like a while ago. Like Yeah, kind of an, kind of an open secret thing. Like I, I remember going to see um, 
Murder on the Orient Express, which I thought was an otherwise great adaptation, um, only be besmir- only uh, really besmirched by the fact that Johnny Depp was there. Granted, he did get fucking murdered uh, pretty brutally. He did kind of get stabbed sixteen times in the back. So oh, that owns. Yeah, I I I, I don't I, I don't by any I do not by any means want to hand it to anyone who was casting Johnny Depp, but casting him exclusively as a character to get murdered. You know what? It it, it, it pays off. It, it, I am not. I am not happy. I'm not happier than I would be if they had just not cast Johnny Depp. But I'm happier than I would be if they had cast Johnny Depp in a role that was not him just getting fucking owned. Yeah. But anyways, so that's upcoming horror movies. But fuck that. We're here to talk about the seminal, everyone's favorite anime, Death Note. Specifically, we are going to be talking about the anime uh, from 2006 and 2007, uh, based on the manga by Tsugumi Oba, uh, illustrated by Takeshi Obata. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Death Note, um, I've, I'd, I'd be surprised if you had no concept, but basically the basic rundown of the plot is Light Yagami is, get, it finds a what is called a Death Note from the Shinigami, or God of Death, world. Which uh, says, if you write a human's name in this, they will die. And so he does it, and then he's like, well, I'm going to be utilitarian. And, and like, fucking trolley problem? No problem. I'm going to flip that thing. Get Kill that one dude. Um, and uh, he decides to set off and make a new world, which he is the god of, as the secret 16-year-old uh, lord overall. He gets into a extended cat and mouse game with... The police and a very special, very, very giant-brained operative known only as, uh, giant-brained detective known only as L. They fight for a while. Uh, Kira kills him. Uh, Light, a.k.a. Kira, which is the alias under which he kills people. Light, a.k.a. Kira, wins and kills him. And then there are two, like, super special brain children of L who came from the same, like, uh, orphanage that L came from, and they're, and they're, someone calls them into the, to the, like, the orphanage's, like, what, what is a person in charge of an orphanage called? Is it a headmaster? Uh, yes? The, sure, the headmaster of the orphanage calls them into their office to, one day and is like, hey, um, L got owned, you are the last hope to stop Kira, and they're both, and they're, and they're like 12, so then they fast forward five years, and those two kids, Nier and Mello, have grown up. They fight Kira. Kira loses this time in one of my favorite, and it's one of my favorite like anime breakdowns ever. Like Ace Attorney, I love, but it does not hold a candle to Light's thirty seconds of laughter, followed by Soda, and just fucking devolving into looking like that dude who's really bad at swimming in anime. Um, and then he fucking beefs it, and that's the end. It's a very satisfying end. It is. Um, so Death Note is probably one of the most, like, probably one of the most well-known anime. Like, you have your big three, you have your Naruto, you have your Bleach, you have your, uh, One Piece. Um, but I I think Death Note might be, like, the most known to the otherwise non-anime watching public. Like, maybe, maybe Naruto's, Naruto probably overtakes it just because of, like, the Naruto run has become so ubiquitous in society. But, um, like, Death Note is, like, I've not watched, no, I, I've watched some Naruto. I've watched, like, maybe a season of Naruto. I've watched less one, actually, no, I've watched about a season of One Piece, too. Um, I've watched no Bleach, but I have seen Death Note, and I know a lot of people for who that is also true. Death Note is, like, a very good beginner, like, 
like baby's first anime that's aimed at a slightly older age demographic than the traditional stuff like because naruto definitely skews teenage uh, as do bleach and one piece i'm granted there are fans older but yeah i this is definitely a series that i have recommended to people and could see myself recommending is like a first anime and as far as approaching it like a like a horror property it's not you know a traditional horror like you're not necessarily seeing a lot of like gruesome deaths happening but i i do i I do like when they indulge in the gratuitous death stuff though because i i feel like they really hold themselves back and then every once in a while they just do a montage of light killing people in epic ways and i i the final destination lover in me always relishes those moments true but i think the real like what makes this qualify as horror to me is like the questions that it brings up because uh, what what i think is really unique about death note is that they ask these really intense like um these really philosophical questions like what justice is and who gets to decide what justice is and they really don't shy away from it uh they look it right in the eye and they consider you know all sides to that story it's really fascinating for a property that was you know aimed at young people yeah you're right it does not shy away from those concepts it goes under them head on and i think that it's um i think a thing you have to accept with with getting a death note is that while it is very smart it is also colossally stupid and the thing is it plays it the only way the only reason the death note rem- remotely works in my opinion is because it is both it is both entirely aware of how stupid and like brain genius it gets at times and does not acknowledge it in the text whatsoever. Like it's really it, self-aware, but in a way that it like keeps control over. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it seems to be aware of just exactly what it is doing. And like, it, like when it gets into the big brain, like, Oh, I knew you knew that I knew that you knew that I knew that you knew that, uh, but, but you didn't know that I knew that you knew that I knew that. Like whenever it gets into that stuff, it, I, I think it do, I think it stirs it up with a little bit of a wink and a nod. But um, aside from that, it, it does not. It, it does control itself from like just staring directly at the camera and like doing Jim Halpert face. Just barely though. Sometimes there's a, there's a <laughs> lot of text yes. in this comic. Yeah, <laughs> we live in a society. There's a lot of text in this comic. Yeah. Um. One of my favorite characters in the manga, or rather in the anime, is uh, Matsuda, the bum- the the most bumbling of the of the police force, uh, and also uh, kind of in love with side character, not side character. Well, unfortunately, she is kind of relegated to side character for a lot of it. Uh, Misa yeah. Misa 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 Hamon coach. I love Misa. She's like a model idol, and she she gets involved with uh, the protagonist because she um, also has a death note. She was um, saved by Shinigami, and she earned the right to his death note. And she recognizes what Kira is doing, and so she does this whole convoluted thing where she's like sending threatening tapes to the news station to get Kira's attention. Um, and through this whole convoluted thing, you know, um, Light figures out that it's Misa. She's this um, young model type, and she seems like kind of an airhead. And really, for the most part, the series plays her pretty dumb. But um, 
I, I think her, like, intelligence in this whole plot is really underrated. Yeah, I, I think that, like, I, I think the thing is that, like, Misa is an incredibly smart person who is unfortunately involved in a chess game with people who are, like, the number one and number two smartest people in the world. Like, compared to, like, the rest of the police squad, for example, I think Misa is way smarter than all of them combined. But, like, like because, like in the text, like, Light Yagami... And, uh, and L and later on Mello, uh, and Nier are, like, the four smartest people to ever live, basically, as confirmed in the text. And I, I don't defend, I'm not defending this decision. I, I think that it sucks, and I think the women get very, I, I think that, um, very, like, once it gets past, like, the one-third point, I feel like the women kind of don't get to exist in this story except for as bargaining chips. Yeah, um, seriously. Which is really shitty. Like, um, uh, Light's sister, for example, is one that I always get really fucking mad about when I think about. Um, what the fuck was her name? Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick. It literally doesn't matter what her name is because she only exists in the plot to, like, either almost discover the death note or get kidnapped. Yeah, literally, that's what it is. Like, she, she literally gets, ki- she gets kidnapped after, th- so after L dies, um, one of my favorite things in the entire series happens, uh, which is just the dumbest fuck thing of, uh, there's, uh, so Light Yagami's dad is Sorichiro Yagami and he is on the police force trying to attempt, trying to catch L and obviously he doesn't know that Kira, or that, uh, sorry, not trying to catch L, trying to catch Kira and obviously he doesn't know that Light is Kira, but he has to go deliver the death note to an underground lair in the middle of the desert, which in, and from which the death note is launched via a rocket uh, in order to obfuscate the, where it is being sent. Wow, there's really no way to um, talk about this plot coherently in this format, is there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's why, like, you can't, like, do a, re- a recap like this feels like... I'm starting to realize this may have been a bit of a mistake, and I'm going to recommend the podcast Take the L. Uh, or ta- uh, I can't, is it Take This L? It's, it's done by friends of the podcast, um, Ryan and Sylvia. Uh, Sylvia, who was on for our episode on the lock-in a couple of Schlocktobers ago. Um, uh, the uh, podcast is only available through their Patreon, but I think it's only at like $1 a month. And you should also listen to Emoji Drone, which is the podcast, which is the Patreon, the podcast for which the Patreon, which Hold This L resides on, is for. Yeah, they do emojis, and but they also do an episode-by-episode recap of Death Note. And it's good. I, I haven't listened it. to it, but I'm recommending it. So I don't see it because Sylvia is extremely good at podcasting. And it's probably more coherent than we're being at. The yeah, because we're kind of just jumping around and talking about shit that we like. Yeah. Um, okay. Why don't we start with, like, where we came to the series from? Like, what is your, like, earliest memory of Death Note? My earliest memory of Death Note is definitely uh, an AMV set to, uh, I believe it was the song was Hearts and Stars by, um, Cage Nine, which is not a band I know any other song by. That's uh, an extremely early 2000s way to come across an anime. I love that. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Let's see if I, if I yes, this fucking video. God. By, uh, by Premonition Studios, which is a YouTube channel that does not exist anymore. So shoutouts to Premonition Studios. They also did uh, they did an AMV for, uh, it might have been Fruits Basket, by a Jars of Clay song. And a 
some other Christian rock song set for a Naruto AMV. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, and that Did was you how know I that all of the characters in Naruto are Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> That's what... Takashi <laughs> has become Catholic. That's why if you, if you slow down the footage of them ever doing jutsu, it all starts and ends with them doing the cross on their, on their <laughs> body, and then they start doing all the hand signs. <laughs> I would have... Paid more attention Jesus, to Catholic Jesus school. Jesus sanctioned this, was really this thousand the years of death in which Kakashi stuck his finger in Sasuke's butthole. That sure did happen, didn't it? Yeah, it did. That sure did happen like a couple times. I, 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 I've been playing some Guilty Gear lately, uh, and there's a character in it named Faust, and one of his special moves is to literally do that. He disappears and then reappears underneath the opponent, and they don't show the finger going into the butt, obviously, but they show him doing the exact same hand sign and, like, just <clears throat> right up in there, and it deals, like, a third of their health bar. <laughs> hey, Japan? You good? I think so. Like... What's going on? What is that? You know what? Never mind. I don't want to know. We should probably continue to talk about Death Note. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of my exposure to it. I didn't really uh, actually engage with it until much later in life because the concept of it was very scary to me because it made me think that there was a real man out there who would just might someday write my name in the, de- in the Death Note for not being good enough at existing. Um, Damn. I had a lot of anxieties as a kid that didn't really make much sense. Um, I feel that. I. I would say I late reading the reading um, the char- the fates of characters uh, in uh, Twisted Metal Black, like what they wished for from Calypso and what they got, um, and then I would just be scared of ever getting the chance of like monkeys pawing myself to death at some day, at some point. I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I came to Death Note like. I was definitely, I was in middle school. I couldn't tell you exactly how I came around to it, but watched the whole anime, um, read the whole manga. I've got a few volumes of it still from from that time. I even have, like, um, they did a, a light novel later that was kind of like a prequel called The, the BB Murders that um, I still have that book somewhere around here. Like, I, I really engaged with, like, all of that content in middle school. I thought it was so cool. Um, I watched the the 2009 movie, the only movie that exists about Death Note. There's no others. Um, yeah, I um, it was it was part of my earliest like I'm an edgy preteen kind of kind of things that I got into. Yeah, I uh, I think I missed my ed- I, don't, I don't know if I missed my edgy preteen phase, but I definitely don't remember it as well as a lot of other people seem to. Um, I think I was just kind of scared of of diving into the ed- the actual edge, um, and my edge just kind of explored itself through making stupid jokes. But even those were pretty tame because I my parents instilled me with a very deep reverence and never the use of slurs, which was, like, the basis of 80% of edgy humor back then. Yeah, like, fair. When I, when, I, when I was in middle school, basically, like, a joke was just a, was just set up and then slur at the end of it. Like, that that was just... And that just, you know, the entire room explodes in laughter. They say, say the line, Bart, and then you say the N-word, and then the world explodes. Not yeah. that I ever did, but, you know. That was, yeah. what, that, that was what everyone around me was doing for funny, and I was like, well, 
okay. Yeah, I had definitely already figured out by that time that if I was, like, open about enjoying, like, anime and stuff that I would just get, like, bullied. So this was one of the things that I enjoyed in private and was, like, nobody else knows good media. I know good media. You know good media like Death Note. I, yeah. Death Note and this new album from Dashboard Confessional. Yeah. Except I think at that phase in my life, I was, like, listening to old corn albums and such. Uh, is corn so. still making music? I mean, I know they're still, like, touring. Um, yeah, they have made a lot of albums. Holy shit. So uh, I'm just going to do a quick rundown of all of the albums that Corn has done, because this is germane to the topic. So there's It kind Korn- of is. Life is Peachy, Follow the Leader, Issues, Untouchables, Take a Look in the Mirror, See You on the Other Side, Untitled Album, Corn 3. So their eighth album is called Corn 3, Remember Who You Are. <laughs> All right. The Path of Totality, The Paradigm Shift, The Serenity of Suffering, and most recently, at in September of last year, The Nothing. Damn, dude. That's sweet. They have done like 12, they've done like 10 compilation albums too, which is really funny. <laughs> so... Uh, so they, they have a couple of live albums. They did a greatest hits album in 2004. Then they did the music, the essential corn in 2011. And then also, uh, falling away from me, the best of corn in 2011. They did two best of albums in 2011. It's probably all you need is the best of albums. Yeah. I can probably just like dip into the, to the six best of corn albums, have like listen for a quick eight hours and then be done with my corn experience. Oh, that's probably all you need for your lifetime of corn experience. Yeah, I, I need I need no more corn experience than that. Just just the one time through is all I really need. Uh, but back to Death Note. Back to Death Note. Um, so I I think I, I got like on seventeen different tangents, and uh, but what I was originally talking about was the way that the women in this series are just cre- treated like pawns, which is. Really frustrating because, like I said, his sister, who I think might be named Sayaka or something, but um, she gets at one point she gets kidnapped, and then when she comes back from being kidnapped, um, she is paralyzed from the waist down. Um, at least I think we, I think she is, because the last time we see her is twelve episodes before the end of the show, and she is being pushed around in a wheelchair, and we see her like from above for like two, like for like a minute, and then it's just like, damn, that's sad. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Misa is really the only... The only woman who gets, like, characterization. Right, but, like, half the time... Like, she spends so much of her time locked up in, like, that... Remember that weird-ass bondage thing they put her in for, uh, like, 12 episodes? Yeah, that was really, really uncomfortable. Uh, I do want to put a pin in those 12 episodes that she's in a bondage thing for because that does have one of my favorite things in those 12 episodes. But, um, and then Misa is also just like completely clueless for the back third of the, for like the back third of it. After Elle dies, like she is just not like into, she doesn't understand anything. Like her brain has atrophied over in the five years since she has had to like help Kira with things. I mean, to be fair at that point, um, Light is controlling so much of what Misa gets to know that... Yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, that's 
you know, it's still a symptom of yeah, that's, that's, the that's author's not like, treating my, my, her character very well. But my girl, my girl character chooses to have her titties out at all times. Yeah, exactly. She breathes it's, through it's, her skin. Actually, it's, it's her right. When you realize why Misa Misa has been sidelined for this entire series, then you will be ashamed of your words and deeds. God. Um, and I'm trying to think if there are any other like female characters. Like there's. There's that the one the one newscaster who who helps Kira for like two episodes and then just kind of gets killed because in the culling of everyone. And then there's um, Naomi who is in there for maybe like three episodes. She's uh, Ray Penvers. Um, yes. Beyonce. Yeah, and she she gets to do cool things until she gets made to suicide by Kira. She's the main character of the BB Murders book. And oh, I fuck, I should that... read that then. Yeah, I remember that it. being, like, actually a pretty good story. Yeah, like, the thing is that, like, I, I think, and I, I, don't, I don't believe that I've read anything, uh, I, I don't believe that I have read anything uh, by Tsugumi Oba since, but, um, actually, let me look at his other works to see if he... No, he's not written anything. He wrote Bakuman uh, and Platinum End, and that's really been it since Death Note. Didn't they do Hikaru no Go together? Uh, that was just Takeshi Obata, I believe. Ah. Um, which I really should... I really should read that shit. I know, oh, everybody keeps um, telling me. Uh, Takeshi Obata was also responsible for the art in All You Need Is Kill, which was, which served as the source material for that Tom Cruise movie in 2015. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat. Interesting. Did you see that one? No, I didn't, but that makes a lot of sense. Obata does really good, like, it's, it's really interesting to me that Death Note is one of the only, like, horror-adjacent properties that Obata has illustrated because he's really good at just unnerving character design yeah like the ghost the ghost in Hikaru no Go always scared me when I was a kid yeah and like all of the all the Shinigami designs are really good like when I was a kid the I, I, I googled I was just googling around about this series because I was too scared to watch it and like I looked up a picture of Rem and I was so scared I was so scared of it that I just turned off the computer I think that's valid Rem scary. Yeah. Um, but, like, even all of the, like, tertiary um, Shinigami that don't even get names are all... Yeah, really... their designs are great. Because the only yeah. Shinigami we get... The only Shinigami gets named... The only Shinigami that gets named are uh, Rem and Ryuk, I believe. And I think that maybe one or two others get their name mentioned once, but I don't fucking remember what it is. Yeah, there's one more. The the bug dude. The one that looks like a dried up sick at a husk <laughs> hell yeah that's 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 my shit <laughs> um but uh speaking of names the names in this series are great um all of the japanese names are pretty uh, as far as i know like they're nothing's really special about them but um the american names are all extremely fighting baseball shit like for example uh lind l taylor or ray penber this sounds like english Ray Penber is such a nice name. I, I do love to hear it, and I love to think it, and it's <sighs> absolutely. You do have see... to hand it to them. Yeah, hold on. Uh, I'm gonna see if I can find the list of other FBI uh, American FBI agents who get iced along with Ray Penber. Uh... Yeah, that's one of the other kind of interesting things about the series. Going back to the idea that they really don't shy away from a lot of the like 
big worldwide implications of this this is like an international story there's a lot of like american yeah. interference which is fascinating especially when you get to and we'll talk about it at the end the the one shot that just came out yes um actually that i think you just brought up a great this is a great time to bring up the the one shot because uh you mentioned the uh, international of it all uh so in the one shot donald trump buys the death note <laughs> He sure does. They, so, for for context, they re- they just recently released just a one shot like, extra what, story earlier this week, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, February third. Um, so, at time of recording, six days ago. Yeah, um, it's a really fascinating story, but I don't even know where to begin here because it's a really different story than the original yeah. Death Note, but it still fits pretty snugly into that universe. The story is basically as follows. Um, in uh, I'm just going to presume that this that this book takes place in current like the the pers- this book takes place like day and date as it came out. Um, so in twenty in 2018, a, a, a high schooler Minoru Tanaka received the death note from Ryuk, the same death note that Light Yagami had years prior. Uh, he does some he does some research, does some thinking, and is like, okay, I'm not huge brained like Light was, but I do know how to problem solve. So let me just look at this for a couple of days. He does some math and gives the death note to Ryuk and is like, okay, I'm gonna forget all of this. Come back in two years and give me this death note. So now it's 2020. He gets the death note back and he puts the thing up for auction. At which point the United States buys it for uh, I believe it was a quadrillion yen, so a ten trillion dollars if my current version is correct. Uh, roughly, um, and uh, Minoru, uh, uh, Mr. Tanaka decides to uh, have that money divided equally among every uh, Japanese citizen. Um, He's a comrade. Instead of trying, to, yeah, absolute comrade. Um, and Donald Trump gets owned because there's a new rule that's been added to the death notes that says if you buy or sell this thing, you will die. Um, and as such, uh, Minoru Tanaka also dies at the end because, I mean, you can't be a Death Note protagonist without dying. It's just this, fact. That was the bullshit at the end, though, is because, um, President Trump doesn't die. He surrenders the Death Note and decides to just pretend like he still has it, which I think is too big-brained of a decision. Like, I don't think the real, literal Donald Trump would have necessarily turned it down for that reason, but... Um. Yeah, I I, w- I was a little mad at the ending just because like it kind of felt like Minoru dies for absolutely no reason, and maybe that's kind of part of the point. But um, it was really interesting to me like how very twenty twenty this story is. Like, yeah, like it's it's weird to have all of like there. There's a part early on where the where Tanaka is like, um. Where Tanaka is just like, yeah, I couldn't really do this shit. Because Ryuk tells him everything about what he remembers from when he was helping Kira. And Tanaka's just like, yeah, I couldn't do any of that shit now. There's, like, cameras everywhere. There's smartphones and shit. Like, damn, this shit's kind of made obsolete. He doesn't even he doesn't even wind up writing anything in the Death Note by the end of it. He does fucking beef it, though, which is a shame. Yeah, that's, that's kind of why I was dissatisfied with it, because I thought that his solution to this was really interesting and really intelligent, and um, I kind I, of... I, I, I kind of like it, actually. Like, I, I, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite things in fiction is, like, the, the irony of a character attempting to outsmart a monkey's paw. Yeah. Um, 
and it's still just like it, it, you know they they take all of the rules and at the they, they like take all the rules into this into their consideration at the end of it the monkey's paw is just like all right fuck you uh yeah. get fucked anyways yeah <laughs> like it's it's just i i always love when a cosmic power is like it kind of like goes like petulant in the face of someone like beating them by their own game it's very like i'm taking my controller and going home with it yeah that's fair i i i just i i just think it's fun personally like i i wish the character had lived too but i i think it's fun it is fun but i i guess i get more enjoyment out of the idea that like these cosmic forces can be outsmarted by you know a normal person i don't know i just wanted him to live mostly because his he was solution a comrade? yeah his solution was really um it was not selfish at all. He yeah, chose I, I to mean, revitalize Japan's economy instead of, like, hoarding all of that money and power to I, himself. I, I think that's, I think that's, I, I think that's intentional, though. I think that stands in direct contrast to the page prior, because when Trump is face-to-face with Ryuk, uh, he says, I'm not taking the death note, and Ryuk says, got it. You value your life over your country. Yeah. And, like... Uh, very like he did not very he did not willingly give his life for his country but he did wind up doing that in the end tanaka did and i think that's supposed to be in parallel yeah that's fair which is i i, I like that yeah um but back to the original series um um I, I said that i wanted to talk about um matsuda earlier who is a character who is just kind of a bumbling idiot for most of the time. Like, his entire role in the series is to be, like, the dumbest person on the police force, making rash decisions out of, like, uh, based on limited information, like, coming to the wrong conclusions, and just kind of sucking. And then, like, in one episode, he just decides, I'm not gonna fucking suck ass anymore. And he doesn't suck ass anymore. And he, pursue- and he like, proves himself to be extremely quick on his feet because he goes to eavesdrop on a secret society thing, gets completely caught by them, and manages to talk his way out of it without getting owned, um, despite the fact that he had a gun and a cop badge on him at the time, which is an extremely which is an extremely uh, powerful feat. And I fucking love Matsuda so much. Yeah, the the Yotsuba arc is really interesting. I yes, it is. That's the that's the secret society that Matsuda was eavesdropping on. It's less the uh, secret society and more of like a um, a small group of executives in one mega corporation that are using the death note death for note personal for gain. financial gain yeah 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 there's a lot of um there's a lot of passing the death note around strategically so you do get to see like a lot of different people use it yes oh uh, the thing i put a pin in earlier there's that 12 episode stretch where me says in that weird bondage thing i love that 12 episode stretch because it takes serious like for that 12 episodes all of a sudden light just light set like there's one scene where light is talking to ryuk and is like okay i've got this all figured out and then the next time you see light he has no memory of ever being kira no nothing he's not pretending he's just completely clueless and you spend the next 12 episodes not knowing they're like finding these little like bits and pieces of the story and then after those like 12 or so episodes are up he gets a hold of the death note again remembers everything and then we get like a, a, a just like an episode long explanation of how huge his brain is yeah which is to just completely leave the audience in the dark for over 10 episodes is incredible <laughs> Well, I also think it just has really interesting implications about, like, how the Death Note works. Because without its influence, Light is working against Kira. 
and he's, you know, happy to do so. And then as soon as, you know, he gains his memories back, he's suddenly, you know, back to being fine with what Kira is doing. So it kind of begs the well, question I... of whether Light would be the person that he is if he had never encountered the Death Note in the first place. That's true. Um, I... I, I think the thing that, like, you know, what evil lurks in the hearts of good men, I, I think, is the other interpretation of it. Because without the Death Note, Kira is just someone who, or without the Death Note, Light is just someone who says, yeah, let's stop Kira. We gotta put in all against this guy. Even though he is literally Kira himself, like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Non-Kira Light Yagami is like, well, I mean, this guy seems to know what's, this guy, like... He, 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 he has some moral dilemmas of his own where he doesn't really know whether or not Kira is just um, while he doesn't know that he's Kira. <laughs> um, but it's... I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think one of the other... The other, like, interesting face of this is that, um, you know, the, the series never actually... It doesn't tell you who is in the right... The whole idea is kind of that you have to decide who is in the right for yourself. And yeah. so it, it's an it's an interesting question of, you know, is what Light is doing, you know, good? Does he have good intentions? Because, you know, nominally his goal is to eliminate crime and create a perfect world. But, you know, how you get there... It, it's a question of like it's, it's it is the it is the trolley problem brought to its most logical extreme. Yeah. It is it is the, it is the question it is the question that lies at the heart of utilitarianism. This is like light yagami is the most utilitarianist. It is the needs of the it is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. When the needs of the few are to murder, are to steal, are to you know commit like high level bank high, high level uh uh, uh fucking. Hey, what, what's the word for when your employer steals empl money from Fraud? you? Fraud? Well, oh, yeah. Uh, like, wage theft? Yes. <laughs> for every instance of wage theft, like, he is he is making the decision that the, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few to the utmost extreme, which is by the needs of the few to be alive uh, yeah. do not outweigh the needs of the many to exist in a crime-free society. Yeah. And they, like, like you're right. They don't say whether or not he's right, and that's. I mean, utilitarianism is a philosophy. When you first like engaged with Death Note, were you were you Team Light or were you Team L? When I first engaged with Death Note, okay, so that would have been I watched. Um, I watched up until the point where L died. I stopped watching after that. The, my first time through, my most recent run through was a full watch. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like when I was like twenty uh, one ish. Um, I think I was kind of split. I mean, just because like they definitely don't make it easy to take a side, especially because like L definitely uses some extremely criminal like sh like some police criminality bullshit, like some oh, surveillance sure. state, like and it makes it hard to choose a side. Like I guess ideologically, I think I was against Kira, but I definitely did not want to consider myself in the same corner as L. I was just having much. I, I was ideologically on L's side, um, but the tête-à-tête -tête was more fun than anything. Actually, yeah, for sure. Not to, was... not to, not just not to centrism, but they are both very like they're both not great people. For sure, I was like 
fairly uncritically Team L at the time, mostly because I just thought the character was cool. Um, he is cool as fuck. Like, yeah. I, I, I love L. I, I think... <laughs> Like I, I I love L the same way that I like a lot of like pro, like uh, characters who do fucked up things. Like L is not on the same level as like uh, uh, as like uh, like I, I like Joffrey a lot from Game of Thrones, for example. I think he's a terrible person, but I think he's an extremely compelling character. Um, but like I I like L a lot. I, I like L a lot. He's very fun. He's very uh, he's very autistic. Which yeah. I, which I used to say that I used to say that as an insult about things, but now it's a compliment when I tell when I say that a character does is like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that was definitely some early like I resonated with that before I was even aware of my own autism. You know. Yeah. Um, I also think that Elle's final episode, Silence, is like the best in the series. Like it's I, the I, best. I think that. It is it is a culmination of everything that's built up to that moment thus far, and it it. But aside from that, I think the cinematography is really just incredible. There are mm-hmm. all these like huge, massive environments where the characters are just dwarfed by their surroundings, and it just fills this. It just fills like the 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 police the 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 base of their operations as this extremely empty, already empty space because there have just been so many losses, so many people who left just so many people who could not stay with it and there's about to be one fewer and there are just so many of these shots that just make it feel like the loneliest emptiest place in the world yeah and i think it's really cool yeah the the only thing about l's death is i don't know to to be to be frank i found the rest of the series after that point to be fairly underwhelming in comparison like that's yeah. such a that's such a good like climax to that conflict that it kind of feels um I don't know. I don't feel like um near or mellow were anywhere near as interesting as L. Yeah, you're not I, alone in that and I and I don't di- I I don't disagree. Like I I think that the, I think that the back third of the series is much is much less strong than the first two thirds. Yeah. Uh, but go on, you were going to say something before I interrupted. Yeah, I think um, what really made Elle's character and what made the what made the conflict between him and Light interesting is that they had this friendship. Um, they have a relationship yeah. with each other, and once that's gone... Um, I mean, I guess part of the point is that after Elle is gone, Kira is kind of intellectually alone. Uh, yeah. And that does kind of press him into, you know, further extremes, but it also just kind of, um, I don't know, I, I feel like after that point, it undercuts a lot of um, Kira's remaining humanity, so, I don't know, it, it, I kind of wish that they would have wrapped up the ending a little quicker than they, than they would have, like, I'm just not super interested in, like, Mellow's whole story. Yeah, Mellow. Like I, I like Nier. I think Nier is fun. I just yeah. could not give half a shit. Like the only thing Mellow does is he facilitates that entire fucking Death Note on a missile thing. Yeah. And aside from that, all he ever does in the series is make me want chocolate. Yeah. I think Nier is fun. I think I'll, I, I do very much agree with what you said. They do try and they do kind of try and slot Nier into that L spot, and it doesn't always work. It works sometimes for me, but it doesn't always work. Um. But yeah, you're right. I think that the the 
it also loses like the the very homoerotic subtext oh, between Ellen sure. Light. Yeah. Like that's completely gone. Yeah. This could have been a really interesting like but, gay exploration if they had absolutely. let it be. Yeah. Um but also I think that um I'm I think that the back third is worse than the first two thirds, but I also think that I respect the decision to do that last third just yeah. because I I understand not wanting to end this series with Kira winning. Like that's like that that uh, that alone is reason enough to extend it if I'm being honest. Like yeah. I I if the series had ended on silence, I think I would have been bummed and felt like I had kind of I, I don't know. And like not to say that not to say that media can't have bummer endings. Like I, I encourage that, but also like I don't know. It just didn't feel like the like Light is extremely set up as a hubristic individual and yeah. you know, again, characters don't always have to get their comeuppance, but it's more fun when they do, right? Like Well, that's part it, of the point of Death Note, you know, is that he does experience his comeuppance in the end, so you you can't finish Death Note on um, light being victorious. It's not that story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work with the rest of it. It's it, it, it's a cat and mouse game, and and the mouse eventually has to lose. Yeah, and, you know, L eventually did. Unless it's Jerry. Yeah, I, I can't imagine it being, you know, any more interesting if, like, L survived and won. Like, I don't think that would have been any more interesting. So I do yeah. agree that, like... L probably had to die for the series to remain interesting, and I don't know. It it, it just still didn't um, hold my attention quite as much as the first. Definitely, two definitely. Like I, I, I've only seen it through once, but uh, going back when I when I return to the series, which I inevitably will, this this series is like I I know at least the first like third of it so well that I can just kind of chew th- like just eat it like junk food. Yeah. Um. It, but when I come back to this, I don't know if I will finish out. Would you the say last that you third. could um, consume it like a potato chip? I would love to consume it like a potato chip. I genuinely think that that scene is phenomenal. Oh that, my god. Like, not not ironic, not like conceited in anything. I think that scene is fucking incredible. That is no, the show. No, it's really good. That like that on top of being like a genuinely incredible moment, it's also incredible from a meta moment because it's like that show when it's when it's like what that that scene when it's dunked on is so taken out of isolation. Like this like people react to that thing like there are all right. I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to defend a prequel thing real quick here because it's a similar thing that I think just is is people are assuming gross incompetence where it's actually competence and they they are just so they just don't like it. Yeah. There is a scene in episode 2 where Anakin goes to kiss Padme and then all of a sudden the music cuts and she says, "Oh no, thank you." And it's a absolute laugh out loud moment, but I have seen that scene like cherry picked as a this is a bad moment in the series. What the fuck is George doing? He just cut the music entirely. Like it is because <laughs> There are problems that I have with Attack of the Clones and the entire prequels, but I, I, that moment in isolation feels very much like the potato chip scene. It's like there is a knowing nature to that scene yeah. that does like that scene doesn't work unless you like that scene requires mastery to not feel fucking stupid. In the moment, it feels great. In isolation, like if you take it in isolation, like yeah, sure, not a lot of stuff from Death Note holds up in isolation, if you ask me. Yeah. But like. That scene is great. There's a really good Mother's Basement video, as there is for pretty much every anime I've ever talked about. 
um, about that one scene in particular where he, I love watching Mother's Basement videos because he's very smart and I have, the, and he has opinions that I agree with a lot of the time. So it makes me feel really smart. That's real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, the potato chip scene is unironically great. Um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about in Death Note before we wrapped up? Because we are coming up on an hour here. Yes, we are coming up on an hour. Yeah, um, let me, let me think. What have we not addressed here? I guess we didn't really talk about, like, how, how it comes to an end. Yeah, it, it, it does come to an end in the, um, I don't even remember what the lead up is. To, like, is, is the lead up to it just that, like, Kira is just, uh, like, Kira is just like, okay, at the stroke of 3 p.m., everyone in this room will drop dead. And then the clock hits three and he starts laughing like a, like yeah. an Ace Attorney character breaking down and then no one drops dead. Yeah, he, Ryuk moves against him in this final scene. He, he thinks he has everybody's names, that he's written them all down on the proper paper. So he thinks that he's won and decides to, like, reveal himself at the end. Because at, at this point... Pretty much everybody suspects him, and through the whole, you know, through the whole series, there's the tension that everybody knows that Light is one of the few people who could be Kira. Um, but at the end, it becomes, you know, undeniable, and in that moment, it feels like um, Light's about to, you know, have his victorious villain speech, but he's completely unhinged at this point. When it, when it doesn't work, it all falls apart pretty spectacularly. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. He like he gets shot a lot, and then he just kind of hobbles his way out. And they're like, "You can chase him, but he's definitely gonna bleed out." Yeah, and so he he like he wanders his way into this old what warehouse and like falls asleep on he like he just like dies on these metal steps, staring up at the moonlit sky above him as the last as his last gasps of breath fade out. Yeah, and Ryuk watches, having written Light's name in the death notes. Yeah, I like that. I like that his end is at Ryuk's hand, and also, if I recall correctly, it was Matsuda who, like, really kind of twisted the knife. Yeah, brought everything together, which was interesting. Yeah, crowning, crowning. He he finally gets his crowning moment of badass. Yeah. TVTropes.com, baby. Let's go. Let's update that shit. I wonder. I wonder, if... what, TV, I wonder what TV Tropes has to say for Death Note. I'm... Oh, probably lots. Probably lots. I haven't gone to TV Tropes in forever, and I can't return for fear of what may happen to me, but... Yeah. Someone else do the research for me, please. Um, yeah, I, I really like the ending. Um, I think the last episode... I, I think that while the back third is not that strong, I think the last episode is genuinely great. Yeah. I, like, I, I love the build-up. Like, I... Actually, I'm gonna take that back a little bit, just because the... I, I, I watched most of this series blasted out of my mind... Uh, because that's how I spend a lot of my media inviting time this these days. Yeah, fair. Um, but uh, I was still able to follow the logic for the most part for throughout the entire duration of the series. Like there was like I was able to understand. Like I, I wasn't able to like read the chess moves before they were explained out to me. But once they were explained to me, I kind of managed to get a hold on it. Yeah. This episode just like goes completely fucking off the rails, even for Death Note's uh, standards of yeah. logic. And I had a really hard time following it in the closing moments. But everything aside from that is genuinely phenomenal. Yeah, I gotta agree. This is probably... This is one of my, like, top... Like, I, I don't know that you can even call this a proper horror property, but it's it's up there for me. Yeah, it's great. I If you haven't seen Death Note, uh, I think you should... Uh, 
Watch Death Note. Yeah, watch Death Note. The thing is that, like, despite it being uh, ostensibly a, a manga all about, like, murder and shit, there's not a lot of trigger warnings to give or no. anything, which I feel like is often a, a, a hazard you run into. Like, the, the big ones that I'd have to give is that there's, like, there is, uh, there's some stuff about suicide, uh, and there's kidnappings. There's a lot of there's like, kidnapping. there's yeah. people being, you know, held against their will for months at a time. Yeah. There's, there's, um, women are dis- are not respected in this yeah. series. This series did not drink their women respecting juice. No, absolutely not. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really recommend it. I think it holds up great. Uh, I, I finished my rewatch back in uh, October of last year, and I watched it in a little bit over a month. Yeah. It's a good fucking show. Yeah, it's a good little um, bite-sized anime. Yeah, even I mean, even though it is, like, 38, 39-odd episodes, it still, it still kind of flies by. It's very easy to consume multiple episodes in a row. Yeah. Um, oh, before we end, uh, what is your, I, I need to know which OP do you prefer? Which ending do you prefer? Oh God. Um, I don't remember any of the endings, but, um, I love the Screamo OP. The Maximum the Hormone one? Yeah. I mean, is there any other answer? I actually kind of like the first one. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I just Uh, think the Maximum the Hormone one is, um... A flawless little snapshot of the tone of the series somehow. You're not wrong. You're you're not wrong. Um, as far as endings go, I think I liked the second one better just because of that one shot in it of just like one light, like just all the lights laughing in a field of other light faces. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so descending opinions. Uh, I will. Ch- we will duel at dawn to the death over this. Uh, but until then, we're gonna get into question. Oh. We have a question from at Nope Wrong Jordan, who wants to know, did you guys read the one shot that came out recently? Yep. Yep. What are some other interesting ways someone could use the Death Note in our cyberpunk dystopian present? I don't have a big enough brain to answer that question. <laughs> Ryuk would not, would absolutely not select me to receive the Death Note ever. Yeah. Though he might... He, he might give it to me just because he's... The only instance I can see Ryu giving me the death note is because he does it in exchange for, like, some weed or something. I think it would be really interesting to see how the death note gets used in an extremely insular community. Like, these stories always have, like, international implications, but I would be really curious to see what happens if just, like, a kid got the death note and only used it on people like within his school or something like that. And there was the, um, I think the earliest like pilot chapter of death note was kind of like that, but I I just think it would be interesting to see what it looks like on a smaller scale. Yeah. I, I I think the thing with that is that, uh, I, I don't know how much these people would want to make like child murder, like a constant thing of theirs. Like, I, I, I think Death Note, I, I mean, not to say that, not, obviously there's like, a, there are like entire series based around the concept of child murder and not to something like I'm holier than thou for them. I fucking love Danganronpa, for example. But um, I, I don't know. I feel like the series would need to take on a lot, a, a very different tone if child murder was going, it, I, it would have to answer an entirely new set of questions if yeah. you ask me to do well, that Well, that, that's why I'm interested in it. True. That's very true. Yeah. It would get into a big nature versus nurture thing. Yeah, that's what would be interesting to me about it. 
Um, I, I think, uh, I guess a closing note on this is that I think a thing that I really like about this is that Light Yagami is a, just a regular ass, well, he's got a huge brain, but aside from that, he's just kind of like a regular ass kid. Like, there's no fucked up, like, history of his. He didn't, like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I have I have Harry Potter fresh on the brain because I've been listening to a lot of Shrieking Shack. But, like, he doesn't, for example, like Voldemort did as a kid, torture the shit out of animals. Which is also, uh, if I remember correctly, shorthand used in Ender's Game to show that Peter is a very bad kid. Because he, like, beats the sh- he, like, kills rabbits and stuff. Yeah, that's a pretty common, like, early sign of a serial killer sort of thing. Yeah. But Lady Agamemnon is just like a dude, and he's like, "Well, I can fucking the world. See, the world is rotten. Let's fix the let's fix this shit." Yeah. Um. But yeah, I yeah. It's good. It's good. You um, like to see it. Yes, we do. Uh. So now we do recommendations. Sue, do you have a recommendation to bring? Oh fuck. Um. Come back to me if you need time. Yeah. Okay. Um, my recommendation this week is an anime that I've been watching because I've been watching a shitload of anime. This season is stacked. I recommend you follow me on Twitter for all my good anime opinions. Um, but the best show I've been watching this season and probably the best show that's going to come out this year is Keep Your Hands Off of Azeken, which is an anime about three young girls who go to a high school together and they want to make anime. One of them, two of them are artists and one of them is an extremely competent producer. And that's the show. It's incredible. It uh, it devolves. It, it doesn't like devolve is not the right word, but like it, it transitions into like sketchbook and storyboard esque looking scenery from time to time, and it transposes like the high quality animation of the girls and like the like the sketches and stuff that they are interacting with. And it's fucking phenomenal. It's great. The intro and outro music are both absolutely excellent uh i can't wait to fucking sit down and watch two more episodes of it tonight it's genuinely one of the best shows i've seen in a long time it rips it rips it's really good yeah um i think i would like to actually plug another podcast if that's okay um i've been listening to a lot of flash in the pan lately um it's a it's a podcast in which two people um re-watch like old flash movies from you know the early aughts so it, it's been such a, like, nostalgia trip, uh, remembering all these things like, uh, like Magical Trevor, um, that, you know, were such a huge part of, like, my childhood and early, like, internet adventures. Um, it was just really good. It's, it's fun. And um, they're, they're good about talking about, you know, the um, edgy humor that hasn't aged very well. And they're... they're um, also really good about doing investigations into like what the people who made these flash movies are doing now and it's just a really good show i'd like to hear it have they done have they done an episode on that 30 minute newgrounds cartoon that i can't remember the name of but it's just the extremely random movie probably they're they've got quite a back catalog right now so all right i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to dip into that uh ziki Doog and real heads will real heads know yeah. uh that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fear Baiting. Uh, we're back, baby. Uh, the schedule going forward is just going to be that uh, every... There are going to be three episodes. So basically the way it works is there's going to be an episode, episode, episode break, episode, episode... So every three episodes, basically, I'm taking a one week off. Uh, because I, I don't quite want to take this show bi-weekly, uh, but I do need uh, to be able to give myself these breaks more often because... Uh, podcasting is difficult. That's extremely valid, and I'm glad that you're doing it that way. Yeah, thank you. 
Uh, thank you very much to Seda for our incredible intro and outro music. You can find them on Twitter at Nudity, and also uh, you can find the rest of their music under People You Meet Outside of Bars uh, on Bandcamp or just head to GayGothVibes.online. Um, thank you very much to Blair for editing this episode. You can find him on Twitter at Blair Kitsch. Uh, and thank you to Matt GameCube, uh, long may he reign of the GameCube, uh, of the GameCube family, uh, for creating noisespace.xyz, where this and the sister podcast, The Wonder Years, with the aforementioned Blair and Seda, as well as, uh, the leftism podcast I do, Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die, where both of those are hosted over on Noise Space. Um, uh, thank you to Sue, Sue, very much for coming on this episode of Fear Baiting, where people find you. Thanks for letting me return. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sue Makes Art. That's S-U Makes Art. Uh, you can find me on Tumblr at least five lizards. Um, I think that's... That's the digit five, by the way. Yeah, the digit five. At least the digit five lizards. Yeah. And um, I don't really have a lot else going on at the moment, but um, I've got some projects in the works, so you'll start to hear more content from me soon. Nice. Yeah. Um, if you want to find us, we're fearbaiting everywhere, including Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash fearbaiting helps support the podcast. One dollar a month gets you, uh, bonus, uh, content. Not, we don't have too much of that, if I'm being honest. But, um, the bonus content that might be forthcoming is, uh, Seda is going to be sending me some high quality, uh, versions of the theme music we've used over the years for both this podcast, for both the main time, both the main time we're doing this show and also uh, all the Schlocktober themes they've done. So look forward to that. That'll be available for all $1 patrons. Five bucks a month gets your name under the podcast and a short message. Ten bucks a month gets you all of that, and you get to make us watch a horror movie. So thank you to Michael Kaiser, Paul Moran, Kit Spindler, Paul Bechtel, and Ducky Aisha. We love you all so, 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 so much. You can find me on Twitter at SunHatGenya, S-U-N-H-A-T-Z-H-E-N-Y-A, and I believe that's everything. So again, Sue, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um... Thank you. It is always a delight. Thank you all for bearing with me in that two-month absence. I'm happy to be back and doing this show again. But until then, I'm Sarah. I'm Sue. And remember... You can put a fucked up guy anywhere. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs>